The Giants followed up a feel-good win, a rare feel-good good win, with a feel-bad loss. Just really nothing positive to take out of yesterday's game as they head out on a critical road trip facing the Atlanta Braves and Philadelphia Phillies and then coming home and playing the Braves again. And so the Giants, their offensive problems, some of their pitching problems, if they don't correct these, this is a stretch of the season that has the potential to doom them. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts, including YouTube. Check us out there, please. And hit that subscribe button wherever it is that you are listening. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And where we get started is by pointing out that the Giants followed up a feel-good win, which, as I said yesterday, was rare, with a feel-bad loss. Pretty much the inverse game of the first game. And uh, the, the hitting problem showed up again. The Giants only scored one run. They have scored exactly one run in, a, in an alarming number of games over the last month or so. And their offensive woes, as we know, as I've pointed out a zillion times on this show, really go all the way back to late June. Basically, right after they had that 10-game winning streak, which included like a 15 to nothing game against the Dodgers in LA, a win. And since like right after that, pretty much, they just have been basically the worst offensive team in baseball. And it's such a long stretch and the performance has been so bad that it's very much moved the needle on the overall season numbers. And so at this stage, like the Giants, while their position is still relatively strong. They don't look like a team that's poised to go on a run. And, you know, somebody pointed this out, one of my, somebody I follow on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, just the other day saying, like, the one thing I've learned about baseball over all my years is that when you think you've got the game figured out, you don't have the game figured out. And so, for all we know, the Giants go into Atlanta and win a series, or they win both series against Atlanta. We just don't know what's going to happen, even if it's you know far more likely that Atlanta takes care of you, which is far more likely, I would say. I mean, the Braves are just pummeling everybody, and later on we're going to talk about how the upcoming schedule really could determine the fate of the San Francisco Giants. But just getting to the offense a little bit, and we will discuss as well this 
kind of, to me, controversy, non-controversy with Gabe Kapler making a pinch hit decision, which it's kind of received some backlash. His The way he answered a question about it, he got frustrated. And so we'll get into that as well and the decision and if I think it was the right one or not. But basically, I mean, the team is just not scoring runs. They're not scoring runs consistently enough. And then you've got guys like Ross Stripling going out there and allowing multiple home runs every time he pitches, essentially. And we just talked yesterday about how Sean Manaya has quietly been a beast out of the bullpen. Really, literally three months. Actually, not quite exactly three months, but like May 22nd, May 21st, he had that outing. I don't know if you remember in uh, Minnesota, and it was really impressive coming out of the bullpen. I think he had eight strikeouts out of the bullpen. And since that time, three months, halfway, you know, half of a season, he's been a monster. Like the strikeout rate is seventh best in baseball over that span. The fielding independent pitching is first in large part because he hasn't allowed a single homer. Whereas Ross Stripling, like he allows multiple homers every time he pitches, seemingly. And so they're kind of in trouble in this way in that they don't have enough reliable arms to put themselves in a position to win the games in which a guy like Ross Stripling is pitching. I know that he's generally been better since coming off the injured list. But overall, I mean, the season numbers are the season numbers. And and the same is true with Manaya. His overall season ERA still isn't good. That just goes to show how bad it was in the beginning. But for Stripling, we're talking about a 5-2-9 ERA, a 5-1-5 fielding independent pitching. On the season, in 78 and a third innings, he's allowing 2.3 home runs per nine innings, which is just crazy high. I mean, if you're a little bit over one, ideally... If you're under one home run per nine, that's pretty good. But to be over two is horrible. He's allowed 20 home runs, 11 walks. So almost twice as many homers as walks, which speaks to two things. Number one, he's allowing a lot of homers. Number two, he's not walking people. And so kind of some of my thinking is like, maybe you should be a little bit less pounding the zone if the pitches that you're throwing in the strike zone are getting hammered. So it's not looking like a good signing. You know, Stripling has just been kind of a liability for the most part. And you look back at a couple off seasons ago, and somebody pointed this out. This is like unrelated in a lot of ways. Their point when they pointed this out to me on Twitter was that two off seasons ago, after the 107 win season, they they, you know, there were all these star players available and they seemingly like chose to kind of not go after them. And instead, the moves they made just look pretty bad, including the moves they didn't make. Now, to be fair, Carlos Rodon was a good pickup. I believe there was a position player who was a one position player who was a solid pickup as well. But otherwise, they gave a what was it, a three-year deal? No, a two-year deal to Alex Wood, a three-year deal to Anthony DiSclafani. And we look back now at the two-year deal to Ross Stripling, the two-year deal to Sean Manaya. All these pitching moves have not gone 
well. They had a lot of success early with certain guys. Like when Wood was first here, that was a really good season. Like if you go back and look at his 2021 season, it was really good. And so it's understandable that they wanted to bring him back. But then I I look back at Kevin Gosman and what he's been able to do since leaving the Giants. And he wanted to come back and he was like best friends with Logan Webb. And so that stands out. You know, I like to give some time. I don't like to judge a move in the immediate aftermath because oftentimes like maybe a pitcher has one good year and then they fall off and then it's like maybe you made a big fuss about it in that first year but then you you have to understand the contract is for 5 years and so what about those next 4 but for Gosman now he's in this is year 2 of a 5 year deal which looks like reasonably priced compared to a guy like Carlos Rodon who got six years and he has a kind of worse injury history but for Gosman he's a leading Cy Young candidate in the American League and in his two seasons in Toronto he's got a 3-3-0 ERA 2.59 fielding independent pitching he's just one of the best pitchers in baseball now he struggled in the second half of 2021 he kind of looked to me like He just was running out of ideas with his two-pitch mix and that teams had kind of figured him out. He did not look great in the playoffs. His one, I think he just had one appearance against the Dodgers and they lost that game and he didn't do particularly well. One thing about Gosman, he's allowed a 350 average of balls in play in Toronto. And so that's a little bit alarming like that you would hope would come down, but he's still just striking people out at a very high rate and it's just been effective. I mean, 3-2-4 ERA in a tough American League East. And so all I'm trying to say is I agree with those who want to criticize that move. And during that offseason, my reaction was until he signed elsewhere, I kept saying, I think that I, I want them to bring him back and I think they will bring him back. And they didn't. And he said they didn't even make him an offer. And so that just when you look at now, a couple years of performance of Anthony DiScolfani and Alex Wood, as has been noted by others besides me. In fact, I haven't really said this until right now because, like I said, I wanted to give it some time. If you combine the salaries of Wood and DiScolfani, you get to more than the salary of Kevin Gosman. And so it's like, yeah, you spread it out over two players, but you could have just spent that same money on Kevin Gosman and not put it into Wood and DiSclefani, and you would have been much better off. And you would have, and then imagine you do also sign uh, Alex Cobb, and then you got Gosman and Webb and Cobb. You're in much better shape instead of these games where you're like throwing out Ross Stripling because you don't really have any better options at the time. So. Look, I will also say I don't think this was a good trade deadline to get players. Maybe Jordan Montgomery. Otherwise, the cost was too high in terms of prospects. There's also Kyle Harrison, who's had two consecutive good outings uh, in AAA. And so he's very much someone who could factor in down the stretch in that rotation. I will also point out the hitting was just that at the trade deadline, there weren't a lot of very good options. So anyway, we'll wrap up that conversation. I want to discuss one hitter who kind of stands out as a possible fit at the trade deadline that they obviously didn't get. But I'm going to say 
why it's understandable that they didn't go after this guy. It was a weak trade deadline. That just needs to be hammered home. It wasn't a great trade deadline at all. So coming up in just a minute, more about that. And also the pinch hit controversy, non-controversy. We'll discuss all the ins and outs of it in just a minute. And before we do, this episode is brought to you by Nutrafol. Did you know that 80% of men will experience hair thinning in their lifetime? It is normal, but it doesn't have to be your fate. You can get ahead of thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, visible thickness, and visible scalp coverage. And it works. In a clinical study, you know me all about the numbers and the science, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com slash men and enter promo code LOCKEDONMLB. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare providers recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men spelled n-u-t-r-a-f-o-l dot com slash men and enter promo code locked on mlb that's neutrophil.com slash men promo code locked on mlb all right here we go we are going to discuss the controversy non-controversy with gabe kapler austin slater wade meckler uh, Danny Emmerman of KNBR. I'm not trying to be hard on anybody in this situation. I'm trying to be fair. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I don't have it out for anybody. I want to respect all of these people. They've got hard jobs. I mean, reporters have hard jobs. The manager certainly has a hard job. Imagine getting a bunch of people shoving microphones in your face every single day, including on days when you're frustrated. It would be tough. I, you know, it takes a certain type of stamina to be able to deal with that and a certain type of thickness of the skin to be able to deal with that. I could not deal with that, but obviously that's why one of the many, many reasons why I'm not a candidate to be a major league manager. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow. We're going to be getting back into a mailbag episode. Last Friday, I had something come up and that was the plan then and I wasn't able to do it. So I apologize to those who were um, expecting that, but something did come up and I was not able to to do it. A rare miss for me. I think it might be the first day I missed all year. So some people were giving me a hard time, but stuff comes up in life and sometimes we've got to miss our obligations. And I apologize, but it, it was unavoidable. So yeah, that's coming up tomorrow when the Giants also play the Braves at what time? 4.20? The Giants play the Braves tomorrow at 4.20 Pacific. Great. Facing Spencer Strider, their best pitcher. That'll be fun. Uh, and you can catch every pitch of the Giants' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Giants. Of course, the Giants pitcher is the great TBD to be determined. That's who's going for the Giants. Fun. So, 
anyway, I just want to finish the point. I wanted to mention Jamer Candelario because of all the offensive players who are out there, I mean, people were talking about Paul DeYoung. Go look up how Paul DeYoung has done in Toronto, you know, for example. I liked Tommy Edmond. He wasn't traded. Uh, there's just... You, give me a name and I'll tell you why I don't think it like was a big enough upgrade to make sense. But if you look at like the struggles of JD Davis, for example, I could, I could see a case for like Jamer Candelario, just adding him in, playing him at third, maybe trying him out at second. He can also play first. Wade hasn't been doing great either. Uh, so yeah, and then you would perhaps strengthen your bench by having J.D. Davis on the bench. He's kind of fallen out of like clear everyday player, J.D. Davis, with the struggles. But the thing is, the whole team has gone through this. So it's hard to pinpoint, oh, this guy shouldn't be starting anymore. Because there's almost no one who's playing like they deserve to be starting on a major league team. Which is not to say... None of these players deserve to be starting on a major league team. I'm just saying, if we look at the last two months, there's just not much there in terms of production for the Giants offense outside of Wilmer Flores and and Michael Conforto's heated up a little bit here lately, but that's about it. So Candelario, the, the thing I want to say about him is that, I mean, first of all, the Cubs got him, and the Cubs, I don't know if you saw this. If you didn't see it, maybe check it out so you can understand my point, if you're interested to understand my point. The Cubs have an energy to them that the Giants, frankly, don't have. Like, the Cubs had a walk-off homer last night, and the place just went ballistic. The Wrigley Field energy this year in games I've seen has been off the charts, The Cubs have been playing well for a couple months. They're packing out the stadium. The team, the fans have rallied behind that team. Got Cody Bellinger, a guy maybe the Giants should have gone off after, certainly having a better year than Michael Conforto, kind of the guy they got instead. And there's just a good energy to that Cubs team. And if you watch the walk-off home run they hit last night, the dude went crazy, like ripped off his jersey, threw off his helmet, as he's rounding the bases and the fans were going nuts. And it's just a stark comparison to if you watched yesterday's Giants game. It was like you could just fall asleep watching that game. If you were at the game watching on TV, it was like rocking a baby to sleep. That's kind of the vibes that the Giants were giving out. And so they're going to have to find some energy. And I don't know what exactly is the cause of all that, but... This team just doesn't have that kind of spark right now. And obviously winning can create that. And we've seen some dramatic come from behind wins that the Giants have gone kind of crazy. So it it often just winning makes you, especially winning big games. And we're not quite at the point where the games are so huge that you're going to see that kind of reaction from the Giants. But if they get into the stretch run and stuff like that is happening, then you would see stuff like that. So I don't know. It was just a stark contrast after watching yesterday's game to watch the Cubs walk off. But anyway, Candelario, in his career, worse by a lot than J.D. Davis. Like, just first of all, right? And if we look at this season, he's been better than J.D. Davis. But And this is going to kind of come down to the Gabe Kapler, Austin Slater thing, which is that I don't believe, and I'm 
very confident Gabe Kapler also doesn't believe because the data is on our side. This has been studied and basically like hot and cold streaks are kind of an illusion in baseball because it's not that they're an illusion, but it's that you don't know when it's going to end. And in any given plate appearance, you kind of expect a player to be who they are as opposed to what they've been in their last like 20 at bats. And so for Davis, I mean, in his career, he's ha- he's got a 115 weighted runs created plus 15% above average offense and Candelario's at 103. So Davis has been a much better offensive player in his career. Uh, Candelario has played like over a thousand more plate appearances and his wins above replacement is better. I think a lot of it coming from historically having better defense, but JD Davis has actually improved a lot on defense this year. It's the offense that's actually fallen off quite a bit after a really hot start. But anyway, I get, yeah, I think maybe Candelario would have been an upgrade and I could, I could understand the case for adding him and pushing Davis to the bench and, it just deepens your bench and it maybe strengthens your lineup. Candelario, I believe, is a switch hitter. Yeah. And so it's kind of like platoon proof. And so I could see the fit there. But also just keep in mind, Candelario was non-tendered by the lowly Tigers in the offseason. So we're not talking about some kind of impact player. We're talking about a guy who's having a good year, but just last offseason was not a desirable player. He ended up signing a one-year $5 million deal with the Cubs so or with the Nationals and then was traded to the Cubs. So I understand he may have been a fit, but it's also not like a slam dunk. There just wasn't that star rental player to go after. So anyway, getting to the other thing I wanted to discuss, the controversy, the non-controversy. Is it a controversy or is it a non-controversy? Gabe Kapler made two kind of opposite decisions in the span of three games when it came to Wade Meckler getting in at bat against a lefty with the bases loaded. One time he left him in, did not pinch hit for him. The next time he took him out, he pinch hit for him. Why did he do that? Why do I think it's actually defensible? What was the kind of controversy with KNBR? And we'll discuss it in just a minute. And before we do, this episode is brought to you by Sleeper. Do you want the chance to win more money with less picks? Head to Sleeper where you can win up to 100 times your money on just two or more fantasy baseball picks. Sleeper is now offering up to a 100 times payout for up to eight pick contests. Choose as many as eight players that you like, pick more or less on your favorite baseball stats like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right and you could win big. Do you think uh, next time you know Ross Stripling is coming on to pitch for the Giants that uh, maybe if, if they're playing the Braves when that happens, do you think that Ronald Acuna is going to hit a home run? Simply hit that more button on homers. Do you think 
you know, when Logan Webb is pitching, maybe he's going to suppress a home run against some of these dangerous Braves hitters. Hit that under on home runs. There's probably going to be a lot of people taking the over. And so you may be the underdog, but Logan Webb prevents homers really well. So it's, you know, the data can can inform these decisions and it's a lot of fun. Entries can be made in 30 seconds or less. It's that easy. They also have safe and fast withdrawals. Use promo code Locked On and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. All right, as promised, I do want to just get into that controversy slash non-controversy and then Make a point about the upcoming schedule. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day, every day or tomorrow. We will get into those mailbag questions. I've got like 45 left over from the last time I asked for a prompt. So we will get to them tomorrow ahead of the big series in Atlanta. Scary and big. The Giants play the Braves at 420 Pacific on Friday. You can catch every pitch of the Giants hometown broadcast with Sirius XM on the SXM app Search Giants. So I'll first give my take and then give the background. I think the moves that were made were entirely defensible. I think there are tons of fair criticisms for the kind of top to bottom in the Giants organization from ownership and their kind of middling desire to be a powerhouse. Like they're just trying to break even with their money uh, in terms of their cash flow and Instead of being like, we want to win at all costs, even if we're losing some money. And so that that's not great. And then, of course, Farhan Zaidi kind of operates within the what ownership is telling him he can operate within. And some of the moves have been good. Some of the moves not so good, as I discussed with some of those pitching decisions. They don't look great. Although I will be fair, like mentioning Gosman, I've also got to mention Carlos Rodon, who has been the opposite in that he's been bad and injured in his first year in New York. And so that kind of shows the risk that maybe they're trying to avoid. And understandably so, because it happens a lot. Uh, but still, I mean, Tommy LaStella, Ross Stripling, like there's just a lot of guys who haven't really lived up to what they clearly hoped they would lo- live up to. Mitch Hanniger, Michael Conforto, <clears throat> etc. So... And then Gabe Kapler and just the way that they do their platooning, I think that a lot of people are tired of it. And that's part of what went into this frustration here is that there was a situation in which Wade Meckler came up with the Giants down by a bunch of runs late in a game in the first game against the Rays against a left-handed pitcher. They had Elliot Ramos available on the bench, and there were apparently questions about why didn't you pinch hit for Meckler with Ramos? I'm not sure it was like criticism. It was just like, wait, you normally do that kind of thing. Why didn't you do it there? And what Gabe Kapler won't say for obvious reasons, although it would help people understand, but it's so maybe he should say it, just be more honest, is that we don't think Elliot Ramos is all that good. That's basically what I read this to be. And essentially, against a lefty, 
in a, in a somewhat important situation, we right now prefer Meckler as opposed to Ramos. So not the case, though, with all right-handed options. As we saw yesterday, it was a similar situation. Bases loaded, down by five, late in the game. Wade Meckler coming up against a lefty again. And this time they use Austin Slater, who wasn't available. He had already pinch hit in the other game. And so they pinch hit with Austin Slater. Slater grounded into a double play. I get it. Slater has been struggling. Uh, again, though, this is what I was saying earlier about Candelario and J.D. Davis is like, I don't. And again, the data is on my side. This has been studied, and I'm sure the Giants are aware of it, that basically hot and cold streaks, you cannot, they're not predictive of what you're going to do next. Like if you're in a cold streak, that does not mean that the next game is more likely to be cold. It's more about the body of the most recent few years, and that is what's more predictive of your next game's performance. Because, you know, you're cold until you're not. One swing of the bat, home run, and, and suddenly maybe you're not cold. It just, hitters don't know when it's going to happen. It just kind of happens. And so, as I've said on Twitter, Austin Slater has the best weighted runs created plus, 170, of any player in the history of baseball as a pinch hitter. Minimum 100 pinch hit plate appearances. Yeah, sink that. Let that sink in. The best of all time. There's not that many guys who have a hundred plus plate appearances, but he's one of them. There's like 286 guys who have had that many, and he has the a 170 weighted runs created plus. It's bonkers. The average is good. The on base is good. The slugging is good. He's just been great as a pinch hitter, and historically, he's also been great as a hitter against left-handed pitching, and so. When you're down by five, this is a team that's in the thick of a playoff race. I think you just have to play the Slater card. The The best argument, and it's a valid argument, is that Jock Peterson was on deck and there were only one out. There was only one out. And so if you just kind of believe that Meckler won't hit into a double play, even if he, you know, strikes out, you still can bring in Slater for Peterson. So that's a fair point. But I think it's justifiable either way, because if Meckler does ground into a double play, you're going to get the same questions like, why didn't you pinch hit for Meckler with Slater? And so I get it. Kind of just be aggressive. Go for it right then and there. Don't hope that something else happens that puts you in a position. Maybe there's like a medium fly ball Meckler hits and then the runner gets thrown out at the plate trying to score on a sack fly like there's all kinds of things that could go wrong if you don't just make the move right then and there and I don't know how many hitters that lefty had faced and if he would have been able to um you know come out of the game after Meckler I think Meckler may have been the first hitter he faced so that wouldn't have been the case but anyway I just Kapler got a little irritated by being asked this question because honestly these are kind of simple concepts but they don't do a great job of explaining them but to me it's pretty clear it's like against a lefty right now in a big situation the pecking order would be Slater first Meckler second Ramos third and they yeah they want Meckler to face lefties but in a spot like that where one swing of the bat can change the tide of an important game I think you just got to play the Slater card, even though he's been struggling, because like I said, 
recent performance, we're talking like the last 30 plate appearances for Slater, doesn't, to me, matter nearly as much as the multiple years straight, including this year, when he's been really good against left-handed pitching and really, really good as a pinch hitter. So Slater hitting gave him a better shot in that at-bat, in my opinion, and in Gabe Kapler's opinion, and I think he's right. And I can show you the data on that about hot streaks and cold streaks and how they're not predictive of your next plate appearance. But anyway, I don't have a lot of time to discuss the upcoming schedule. We can probably get into that a little bit tomorrow, but the Giants are about to go through a gauntlet. Like they play all their games against the Braves in the next 10 days, six games against Atlanta and three games against the Phillies sandwiched in between. And then they play the Reds, who have playoff aspirations, the Padres, who have playoff aspirations, the Cubs on the road. Padres are on the road, too. Uh, So it's going to be tough. And this stretch could very well determine their season. Like if they really struggle through this, they might get buried and face an uphill battle the rest of the way. And who knows if they can overcome it. But if they can have success in this stretch, then it could have the opposite effect. So it's huge. And if you go roughly 500, you'll probably be sitting about where you are now. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow. Mailbag episode. Really looking forward to it. Giants play the Braves tomorrow at 420 Pacific. You can catch every pitch of the Giants hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app Search Giants. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like the show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out so much. So thanks in advance. And thank you sincerely to everybody who's done so already. Can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants.